0: I do see a lot of improvement, people pushing for sustainability, people worried about grid resiliency, not just talking about it, but doing something about it. We understand the heat loads of a building envelope. We understand the capabilities of the cooling equipment inside that building envelope. Everyone will be using optimization technology to reduce their demand, to be as efficient as possible to be grid interactive.
1: Welcome to season three of the Beyond Capital podcast. People always ask me, what is the secret sauce to marrying profit with purpose? We're back for another season to bring you the stories of successful leaders that are building and scaling purpose-driven businesses. I'm Eva Yazari, general partner of Beyond Capital Ventures.
2: And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We wanna show you how conscious leadership translates impact in all facets of a business and how it can show up in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly.
1: Whether you're a leader of a company, team, household, or just yourself, we hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you. And feeling inspired to take action every day. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast.
2: And today's guest is Gary Morshes. Gary is an energy industry veteran specializing in market deregulation, risk management, supply, asset optimization, and technology. Gary is the CEO of Demand Q, a certified B Corp. Demand Q deploys a proven optimization solution for commercial sites that reduces peak electricity demand and electricity bills while providing sustainability benefits without adversely impacting customer comfort. I gotta learn how they do that. DemandQ's intelligent demand platform is deployed in thousands of locations and meters across all lower 48 states and has kept more than 100,000 tons of CO2 from being generated at Fossil Fuel Power Plants.
1: Wow. Incredible. Welcome, Gary. It's it's great to have you on the show today.
0: Nice to be here. Thank you.
1: So let's start to unpack all of that yeah. and uh, get a little deeper. Can you tell us about your background in the energy industry and what drove you to become involved with DemandQ?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting background. I'm, a, I'm an energy guy, true and true. I started in refining, got into natural gas and power back when it deregulated. So I've seen the evolution of these markets develop. I've seen the evolution of new technology, new generation technologies. And we've seen a lot of volatility in prices over the time. I'm a corporate guy up until now, you might say, that dealt, dealt with you know big business and big generation assets and power plants and refineries and all that. But really, frankly, I got tired of all that. I got tired of chasing the almighty dollar, which is what basically it was all about. I was kind of good at my job. I was very good at my job. But at the end of the day, I would say, hey, yeah, we made some money today. And you know what? It helped develop the team. But that was really it. And so when an opportunity to get more ingrained with public benefit, helping a big problem out there, and working with a small agile team, Manq really uh, appealed to me and, and and it's fun to be with a company that, that can make a difference, that can provide a public benefit and isn't 100% driven at the bottom line.
1: I love how you just flat out come and, and, and say that and talk about your motivations as being more than just money. And that's what we're here on the show to do is talk about leaders who are thinking about all stakeholders And what really stood out to me about the background that Ed read was that your platform is deployed in thousands of locations across all lower 48 states of the United States. How actually did you do that in working with local governments and existing energy conglomerates? Maybe you could paint a picture of these puzzle pieces that had to come together to make that possible.
0: Why don't I take a step back, if I may, and just kind of maybe I can outline the, the, the broader problem that is facing America is facing grids really all over the world. And that is essentially the grids are being stretched. And if you think about electricity and how it's delivered, we take it for granted. We flick that light switch on and boom, the lights are on. When they flicker, we get nervous. Blackouts really make us mad. But there's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of investment and a lot of stuff behind delivering that electricity to make our products work that we live and rely on. You know, we are undergoing our society's increased electrification. Everything's electric, EV cars. We also have a lot of renewable energy, which is a wonderful thing. Wind and solar, that's generating carbon-free power to supply that grid. But it's variable. I mean, it's dependent on the weather conditions. And we also are really mired by an aging infrastructure, the old, archaic delivery model that the regulated utilities have been grown on, which really allowed America to become electrified, have kind of outlasted that, that, that business model a bit. So the bottom line is, is we have ever increasing needs for stability and more power and our infrastructure and grids are unstable. So consequently, one of the things that we do at Demand Q is we do help provide stability. We help provide grid resiliency, you might say, By cutting off the peaks, that maximum usage that strains a grid, you know, over the course of a day. And by the way, by doing that, we're also taking the dirtiest polluted generation off the grid as well. So we have two benefits, really, really three benefits. We provide sustainability, we help with the grid with resiliency, and we also help to save our customers some money as well.
1: When you say cutting off the peaks, what does that mean specifically, or how are you innovating around that?
0: Yeah. Well, you think about it, you know, again, uh, the electricity grid that delivers this power to us instantaneously, 24-7, 365, is really an amazing thing. I mean, there's, you know, hundreds and thousands of power plants and wires and lines and transformers and all kinds of infrastructure that have been pieced together over literally over 100 years and improved to allow for this reliability. But the toughest thing for a grid to deliver is what's known as peak power, or everybody wants it all at once. Because power is an unusual commodity. It's really hard to store. Now, yeah, battery technology is coming into play, but you know, unlike oil and gas or gold or whatever, you know, you can produce it and you can stockpile it. You really can't do that very much with electricity. There's very limited storage capacity. So what has to happen is the grid and all its technology has to instantaneously balance supply and demand. Right. And that means turning on and off power plants instantaneously. And when people turn on lights or start up generators or motors or whatever, and it's turning them off. So that, that balance, that's that constant, continuous balance that puts a lot of strain on the grid. And what's really tough on the grid is when everyone does it at once. Right. And so you get this peak power which, again, really stresses the grid from an efficiency standpoint and from a cost standpoint, which translates into more pollution, emitting generation that's relied on to meet that peak demand.
2: Is that because the peak demand, when they turn on more power plants, as it gets higher and higher demand, they the, what they're turning on is dirtier than what's mm-hmm. running all the time?
0: Yeah, the, the grid actually is a very smart managed very smartly. They what they do is they will basically consistently minimize the cost to generate the power needed. So it's typically dispatching or running the most efficient plants. And the most efficient plants are typically the low-cost plants. And those low-cost plants include our renewables, they include, you know, things like nuclear, they include some fossil fuel gas plants that are efficient but what happens when they get beyond kind of the normal ranges, they have to rely on what's known as peaker plants. Plants that have to turn on, they're not run very often, but when they do run, they pollute. Oh wow. And a lot of these polluters are old oil-based generation plants that just turn on and run for a little bit that can pollute a lot. Coal, you know, was the backbone of generation, you know, 10 years ago 40% of all electricity produced in the US was coal generated. It's it's cut in half now, which is a good thing. But turning on coal plants, again, is a dirty em- emitter. So, Ed, to what you said, yes, typically when peak demand requires most expensive plants and the dirtiest plants. And those dirty plants can be two to three times as much CO2 emission per kilowatt hour produced than running efficient plants.
1: Wow. Who is your customer?
0: Who is our customer? Well, we, our customer originally was, we would go to end users and we talked about commercial customers, office buildings, retail, restaurants, things like that, people like that, who have larger bills and pay not only for what they use, like you do at your house, your meter, every kilowatt hour you use, you pay so much per kilowatt hour, and that's what your bill is. But commercial and industrial customers, they have what's known as usage rates plus demand rates, and they have to pay an amount based on the maximum amount that they use, and there's a separate charge for that that separate demand charge can be up to 40% of their bill. That's a big number. Big number, and it's a hidden number that people don't realize. And that demand is the maximum amount used over a time period. And that demand, that peak demand is often set just from unplanned occurrences, random events. You know, your building has four AC units on it. They just happen to kick on at the same time. That add that stacking usage adds demand and increases their demand charges. So consequently, our customers initially, our technology, our proprietary technologies patented, was to combat these demand charges that were plaguing companies that were getting random events that were charging them a lot of money. And we were able to not only reduce their carbon footprint by cutting off those peaks, but, but save them money. Since that time, we've expanded our offering to the good of not just the end-use customer, but also to the suppliers, the supply side. So consequently, we're working with utilities who are trying to corral or reduce their demand. They don't want to generate this, this dirty, expensive power if they can help it. So they're leaning on some people like us to work with them to help their customers have a lower peak, saving their systems from having to, to generate more peak power. We're also working with marketers who sell sell power directly to folks to reduce their cost to serve as well, and again, provide that sustainability benefit to those those end use customers.
2: Now, here's the big question, though. So you say, I said in the intro that you can do all this without adversely impacting customer comfort. Mm. I uh, have been involved in demand queue, and I've told people this story, and 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 over and over again, people just kind of scratch their head and say, "How is it possible?" that you reduce the because if you know if my giant shopping store my walmart needs to cool down like how are you going to stop it from running the air conditioners to you know lower that peak demand without impacting customer comfort is there an easy way to describe how demand Q magically solves that it's
0: not magic (laughs) it is proprietary and it is patented (laughs) but it's an analysis that we do on how building envelopes work. We understand the heat loads of a building envelope. We understand the capabilities of the cooling equipment inside that building envelope. We understand what impacts weather on that building envelope and we optimize that equipment to meet the needs of that set point much more efficiently, much more effectively than without us. Wait, what's a building? Wait, wait, wait. What's
2: back up? What's a building envelope?
1: I was going to ask
0: building envelope okay so, okay well it's I'm, just sorry. So I'm sorry i'm sorry i don't know what
2: that is i'm sure there's no, like a thousand people that. listening are like what the heck is? no it? i i hear you it's you're right i'm sorry i'm uh i'm talking shop you're an energy nerd it's okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's why we have you on the show
2: yeah we want to learn All right. what is a building envelope and
0: how does that play? Building envelope is just that it's the build size of the building mm-hmm. it's got walls it's got windows it's got equipment in there it's got doors it's got the building envelope, that building site has what we will determine a heating and cooling load. And it has thermostats that basically folks want to maintain a temperature in that inside that building. A store may want to keep it at 71 degrees, that's fine. But they have a number of air conditioning units to do that. For example, a big box store, they may have eight, 10, 12, 14 air conditioning units cooling the various zones inside that building keep it cool throughout. So what we do is we basically network that all that equipment, all those thermostats, and we figure out the most effective way instantaneously on which equipment to run, which to stay off, and how to run things more efficiently, more effectively to keep that temperature at the set points more efficiently, more effectively. We are able to do so without altering the set points. In other words, they turn their thermos at 71, we're going to maintain 71 degrees. We won't run all the equipment at once. We don't need to. We may use one of those air conditioners, may stay on longer. We won't turn the next one on because we don't need it. No one person is making those decisions. It's our optimization algorithms, our models that understand that building envelope or that condition of that building, the equipment in there and the weather, and come up with a plan to minimize the demand and the usage to make that happen. And the beautiful thing about our technology is nobody even knows we're doing it. They love it because they just go about their business. They don't know what air conditioners are turning on or off or when they're turning on or how hard they're running. All they do is they see a reduction in their bill and they can quantify a reduced carbon footprint because they're consuming less peak power over the course of the month.
1: Wow, I'm gonna ask you a non-energy nerd question why does it need to be so cold? Are there any scenarios where- Oh, in you, the building. In the building envelopes. Are there yeah. any scenarios where you advise, you know, Walmart, and to use Ed's example, that they could set the thermostat to 73 and everything would be just fine?
0: That's a great question. Our nerds, uh, our engineers <laughs> are really top notch. <laughs> we find those kinds of issues. And it's, it's, it's because lots of people have equipment that's not well-sized not well conditioned, and not well understood. In other words, they also run their equipment a lot longer than necessary. We kind of put a building on cruise control. We're going to keep you at that 71 degrees. We're not going to let it get down below 70, 70 and a half degrees. We're not going to let it get above 71 and a half in any the zone anytime. So we maintain a much smoother dispersion of temperatures without those extremes that you do see oftentimes yeah. in building.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's like... Sometimes it's just turned down too cold, but sometimes like the store manager is like dealing with a building envelope. Maybe the building is West facing with a lot of glass. And so it's going to heat up really hot in the afternoon. And they know that. So they, they're not going to be adjusting the thermostat all day long. So they know they got to keep that place cold because it's going to get warm at like four o'clock unless they do that.
1: Understand? So, So there's
2: some stuff, but
0: most of the time they keep places too cold. Yes they do there might be they some do. energy
1: savings in there
0: maybe tremendous tremendous energy saving tremendous waste we we find it's kind of funny when we get into a building we look at the history and we analyze everything we've got terabytes of data on buildings and set points and thermostats and all usage and stuff like that and we find all kinds of mistakes we'll find you know hey they have 12 zones. They got 11 air conditioners running. They got a heater running in the back. It's too cold. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> those, those weightful. <laughs> and we're not just talking about the money, but the 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 energy and the the pollution and the the, the carbon footprint waste on just silly things is just overwhelming. Yeah. Or as as you were both mentioning, yeah, this this side of the building's sitting at 68, whereas that side of the building's at 74. They're going to say, hey, it averages 71. That's where we're at. Well, that's no good for that, that that customer experience. We want 71 throughout the building. So that's what we're going to do is provide a better control, a more precise control, run it more efficiently, run it more effectively, and save carbon footprint, sustainability, and money.
1: Is there a way that you almost net out your fees with savings? Is that a part of your your value proposition to the companies you're working with?
0: Our value proposition is, I mean, we are a SaaS business. I mean, we have no equipment necessary. We basically tie in via the cloud directly to what's known as kind of the brains behind a building. It's called a building automation system. It's a little computer that kind of runs all the equipment that most commercial buildings have. So we'll tie via the cloud directly to that and run our optimizations via the cloud to their site. By the way, we can also tie into smart EV chargers as well and optimize accordingly. But long story short, we're not putting equipment in, so it's a SaaS-based model, and we have a monthly fee that we charge, and typically our customers will save a considerable amount of money more than we do charge, plus plus we'll quantify the carbon footprint benefit that, that we bring to bear as well.
1: When you're telling the story of the company, do you still encounter people who think it's too good to be true? that you can run a business and have impact on the environment?
0: I wouldn't say people think it's too good to be true. I think people think it's too complicated. Mm. Or what we have found right now with with business where they are, you know, we're talking to our energy managers and facilities people. They got too much on their plate. They just don't want to take on this new wonder product or whatever service. And that's what we have found. It's not that people don't don't believe us that they don't like it. It's just that they just can't get to it right now. They're just overworked, and why take on another something else, you know? So it's hard to find the the right person to really enable this to happen. But when it does, it provides a lot of benefits to the company. The CFO is going to be happy. The sustainability person is going to be happy. The marketing person is going to be happy. The customers will be happy. And we'll be happy and the grid will be happy. So there's a lot of benefit, the big pie of value in a number of ways that we, that we provide to a lot of parties here.
1: Are there any new branches that you could see DemandQ working in with the SaaS platform?
0: You know, we are going out after more verticals and trying to partner with companies to help our market reach a good solution. That's if you think about energy in a building and buildings, by the way, they consume about 70% of U S electricity goes into buildings. No one thinks about that, but that's a huge, huge number. There's a lot of optimization that can be done out there. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, with deregulation, that market's gotten very complex. There's a lot of services. There's energy efficiency services. There's equipment. There's buying. There's selling. there's, There's all kinds of stuff that people have energy managers for. So what I'm trying to say is it's a very convoluted and complex marketplace that we're dealing in right now. You know, overcoming that, we are trying to help solidify our market reach with established partners to facilitate our solution as a part of a broader solution, a broader service to a customer. Because we bring added value, we bring better ROI, we bring better sustainability to those partners.
2: Gary, when you look out 10 years, what kind of effect do you think Demand Q is going to really have?
0: I think Demand Q, the services will be mainstream. Everyone will be using optimization technology to reduce their demand, to be as efficient as possible, to be grid interactive, take signals from the grid to minimize disruptions to the grid and to facilitate grid resiliency. It's essential. It's necessary. It's going to be the norm.
2: Do you guys also take price signals and modify the cooling or heating of the building envelope based on what the price signals are coming from those real-time markets like ERCOT here in Texas?
0: We do. We do. With our control, our ability to control this cooling equipment, NEB chargers, we can take price spikes for very high price periods, which typically means there's a shortage on the grid. The grid's in trouble. They're charging up, firing up really expensive, really dirty peakers to keep the grid whole, keep from rolling blackouts. Those are the times when prices shoot to the moon. That's a good signal that we can take and we can tie real time into those ISOs, the guys that manage this kind of stuff and shift load away, curtail load at that immediate time. It's a real time service that we provide that can react and proact to help the grid and to reduce that high cost, dirty power that has to be produced at that
2: time. And when we say high cost, put some numbers on that for me. So let's say that I'm like hanging out here in Texas in July and it's like normal price. And then all of a sudden we have one of these peak moments. What would be the price that I, assuming I'm on a floating price, kind of buying in real time. What would be the difference in price from normal to
0: like peak? Well, normal prices in Texas is the wild west and it's the only ISO that's, set up like this, but it's 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 a huge market, as you well know. ERCOT, Texas has a lot of wind and has typically very low prices. Call it $30 a megawatt hour. That's about $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour that you would see on your bill. And that goes like that for days and days until there's a problem. And we've seen that already this year where you're going to see prices pop to $500 a megawatt hour, $1,000 a megawatt hour, up to $7,000 a megawatt hour. It can go you know, hundred times normal for a period of time. Those costs get reflected in people's bills. Poor folks down in Texas saw that uh, winter with with all the freezes. Uh, I think yes. February, of, and
1: we lived and through that.
0: You lived through that, and you saw bills that were ten times higher, twenty times higher than normal, just for that period, because the grid had such a problem meeting peak. They had to really go to inefficient, very expensive power plants to, to make that need and they're still rolling blackouts. So we're trying to combat that. We're trying to help the grid with, res- with resiliency, shield our customers from really high prices and how also help the environment by not forcing expensive, dirty generation to, to pollute the earth and cost a lot of money to the grid.
1: I think it's incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for the future of demand Q turning to what it is like for you to run a business. You are a conscious leader, that's very clear. So how do you cultivate a company culture that reflects your company's mission and purpose?
0: Well, you're making it sound like it's harder than it is, but I, mean, I came into the company, okay? And again, I run, I'm a corporate guy, I run much larger companies and things like that. But you know, we had a core competence of, of people, people that most engineers that understood this technology, had a vision going forward on what it could do for the grid, what it could do for sustainability, what it could do for customers. So I can't take credit for, for starting that up. I inherited this thing and gladly, and broadening it and strengthening it and trying to get scale to our to our company. But the thing about it is, is our people are committed to this. They all joined us, knowing we're a small, you know, agile startup, that we had a cool technology that worked, that we had a cool technology that provides sustainability. Those are the types of people that were in the company before I joined. And those are the people that we've been hiring since since I did join. And the funny thing was we just became a B Corp just a couple months ago. We went through that process. And it's quite a process and 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 i know you've gone through it but it really wasn't that hard for us and because we were doing all this stuff anyways socially conscious rules and and and, you know ways that we run the business that we treat people you know the fact that we do contribute to sustainability with our 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 product so yeah we introduced a little bit of formality here get get our board to approve that you know we were gonna become a b corp and not just you know, behold to the shareholder, but the stakeholders as well. And that passed, no, no problem. So it was a pretty easy transition for us. And it's just been part of the DNA since the company was created. And I like it. It's fun. And when we talked to the, the folks about doing this B Corp, everyone was so excited. It was, it was, it was great.
1: I can imagine. Uh, congratulations on that. So Gary would love to get to know you a little bit better with our rapid fire questions.
2: Oh, here we go. <laughs> Get ready.
1: So, the first question is, what book is on your nightstand right now?
0: The Diary Keepers. It's a story about Jewish community in Amsterdam and in Holland for the Holocaust and what, what went by. And they had people from both sides with the, the day-to-day. It's really eye-opening and traumatic. I'm a big World War II history buff, and this I like The, the Peoples, and this is a really interesting book.
2: Okay. What is your go-to beverage in the morning Coffee, tea, or
0: caffeine-free. Caffeine-free.
1: What? Wow, <laughs> Ed was I not don't expecting drink, I don't that. Drink
0: coffee or tea. You don't? No, no. I've been known to drink a Coke in the morning, but milk or something. Yeah. That is unbelievable.
1: That says a
2: lot. You are an energizer, buddy. How do you? <laughs> where do you get your energy well, from?
0: Well, I've been known to take a, you know, Red Bull during the day or so. <laughs> <You see>.
1: <laughs> we need to add that into the question. Oh my
0: God. Yeah. Yeah. name
1: something that is giving you hope right now.
0: The weather's great outside. That's exciting when you live in Ohio. That's that's a good thing. That's a great question. I just be I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I always see the glass half full. I'm always very positive about everything. You know, I do see a lot of improvement, you might say, in, in the tailwinds about people pushing for sustainability, people worried about grid resiliency, not just talking about it, but doing something about it. And it's fun to be a part of a company that's kind of ahead of this and can provide the services right now to folks. That's exciting.
2: What is a big trend that you're watching right now in your industry?
0: I am watching the renewables, the deployment in in grids and things like that. I'm all for renewables. They're important, but we have to maintain a balance in order to keep the grid Resilient.
1: Do you have a favorite resource that you use for staying up to date on current events in your industry?
0: Energy Society, American Energy Society comes out with some. I read Utility Dive. Those are two that I keep up with. Um, Retail Dive as well. A lot of our customers are on the retail front, and that keeps them. And the old Wall Street Journal.
2: Do you read the Energy Nerd Times?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know that. I don't know that, but if you can give me a description, I'll
1: probably do it. <laughs> Ed reads it. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm the author. You're an energizer bunny. You don't drink coffee, but you do drink Red Bull. So after a, a tough day at the office, you know, you're out there saving, really concretely saving carbon emissions, preventing the need to build more power plants, saving people money. It's must stress a guy out. What's your favorite way to unwind?
0: Well, I'm close to my family, you know. Wife and I were empty nesters here, so that that's always a good thing, but I'm a big sports fanatic. I play basketball still, I golf a lot. I'm really big into pickleball right now. So I try to get out a couple 3 4 times a week with a pretty active sports or my bike. So I'm an outdoors guy.
1: That's so nice. What is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self?
0: Why did I get in this energy business? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the this is the the trendy business right now though
0: well yes it is but but you know truth be told it's funny you know my kids are graduating and stuff i mean have graduated and stuff and they're in business and all that and i told them not to get in energy because it's so disruptive it's cool it's fun i've enjoyed it i've had a good career but i've had to move a lot you know i've had to switch around a lot with with the changes in regulation and everything like that which i wouldn't wish upon anyone that's probably my biggest regret, but by the same token, I do like the the changes and the opportunities. I thrive on change and stuff. So, I mean, I'm giving you a wishy-washy answer here, but, but you got to be true to yourself. It doesn't really matter what you do as long as you enjoy it because your career, it's not just money. It's not just title or status. You got to get into it. That's whatever makes you tick. Go for it. You'll do well in it and you'll be happy. And that's what life's all about.
1: It is. To wrap up. What will Demand Q look like in 10 years? What is your vision as the CEO of the business?
0: Well, again, as I mentioned a little bit before, I think Demand Q is going to go mainstream and then it'll be just a part of operations of commercial and industrial sites all across America and the world for that matter. That This optimization based on grid interactive information, whether it's peak demand or high prices or. Will be part of how buildings will be run and optimized to keep people cool, keep operations moving. It's gonna be just the norm. It's just it has to be. And I believe that that our technology can do that. And that, you know, we'll be in commercial and industrial sites all across across the world, whether we're, you know, maybe white label with a partner or branded as demand queue. That doesn't concern me as much as long as we are doing what we're doing, saving our customers. Helping the grid, helping the, the world with sustainability. I, I love
2: that part. The faster this technology can get out there, the more carbon that gets saved and the more money that gets mm-hmm. saved. And it's just better. So kind of however you do that. Yeah, it's a
0: win-win-win. That's that's yeah. that's that's what we like about this thing. And, you know, this is kind of rare, but, you know, one of our, our models is we kind of like drive sustainability and improve the bottom line. And, you know, as you well know, a lot of times those I want to improve sustainability, but I got to spend up to make it happen. And, in new nascent technologies, that's oftentimes the case. We're lucky in that ours is not and that we can drive benefits financially to so many folks as well as to, to drive sustainability.
1: This has been incredibly inspiring. I have also learned a lot and I have hope for our grids now in America. Thank you for instilling that in me, Gary. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks. It's been great.
1: Thank you. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way, and we can all make a difference.
2: You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter.
1: And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.